Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Christian Origins podcast with Tom and John. Tom, was that you on the piano there? Unfortunately not, John, no. Uh, uh, my dad actually uh, recorded uh, that intro for us uh, with my brother on the drums, actually. Oh, fantastic. You, you have a very talented musical family. I do it for short when it gets to me, actually. But, um... <laughs> now, Tom, I know that definitely not to be the case because um, you were, in fact just uh, embarrassing you for a moment here the lead oh. guitarist in our sort of alternative christian rock band which we had together at university alternative christian oh yeah that's i, pretty... I would say that was generally our, our genre isn't that why we lost the battle of the bands final because we were too christian for the for the uh, judges or I, something I think like that that's definitely the narrative that we will always tell ourselves yeah oh yes. uh, yeah of course, of course yeah and now we're doing a sort of alternative christian podcast if you like so it's, it's all in continuity it, <laughs> So I think people who are listening at this point might have the impression that we've known each other for a while. How long has it been? Um, well, actually, I can date this quite precisely because um, Facebook popped up with our friendship anniversary the other the other week. I, I remember, and it was um, it was a ten year anniversary. So uh, it's it's a sign that we've been on Facebook too long. But I think we might have met uh, the year before. So when we were thirteen. Um, at a local park I know that um, there was a summer festival going on and I mm. think we just sort of met through some mutual friends and then we were I guess in our teens attending this youth congregation together um, and then you were finalizing uh, your UCAS choices for university I was and I had kind of fallen in fallen in love with Nottingham and wanted you to put down Nottingham so I think you finalized Nottingham and then because you you'd fallen in love with me by then so. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely um, actually I remember the 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 day we arrived i was super nervous arriving at university uh i'm not sure how you were feeling but i remember getting a call from you um and i remember us meeting I up and this. that kind of just like alleviated my fears but i was really excited for university partly because i knew we were going together mm. and we hadn't gone to the same school either but we had this friendship so mm. i guess it was like a really kind of exciting time and then yes we so we studied theology together we had this band together mm-hmm. um we ended up living together and now we're doing this podcast together as well. We are. It's a bit sad when you put it like that. <laughs> I, I can't get away from you or you can't get away from me, Tom, I'm not sure. But um, what have you been doing since we graduated from Nottingham? Yeah, so I actually went on to study law after my theology degree and uh, I went to do the GDL, which is a law conversion course uh, in Nottingham actually as well. And uh, now I'm a, a, tra- a trainee lawyer as it were, well, trying, attempting to be one. I will become a lawyer one day, I promise. So, so you have definitely entered the real world. Yeah, there's there's somewhat of an attempt <laughs> there to enter the real world, yeah. Whereas, unlike you, unlike you. Yes, whereas <laughs> I have remained a perpetual student. Um, yeah, so I went on to do a master's and then uh, actually have spent the last year training to be a teacher. Mm. Um, well, that's fairly real worldish. Yeah, that's that's fairly real worldish. Uh, but the problem is, I'm not actually doing my NQT no because uh, <laughs> I've, I've accepted a place to do a PhD uh, in New Testament and Christian origins. So um, I'm going to be a student for a few more years yet. <laughs> Couldn't get away from it. Yeah. No. So it's probably good at this point, John. You know, given that you are the academic, then uh, to just sort of lay out uh, the vision for the podcast, really, and um, just let the audience know what what we're thinking of doing uh, in in the next few episodes. 
Yeah, so there are quite a few podcasts um, that I've listened to. So uh, uh, Mark Goodacre, who's a New Testament scholar, does a really good podcast called uh, NT Pod, um, and some of his students do a podcast called NT Review. But I noticed that there weren't many podcasts just focusing on um, the history of early Christianity and the beginnings, the origins of Christianity. Mm. So I thought this would be a really good way for for us to both keep on sort of me, me processing what I'm studying and maybe you sort of like keeping up. Um, yeah, just with... to keep up, you know, to speed with issues that, you know, I, I know I personally care about and uh, issues that I found very interesting, fascinating during my time as an undergraduate. Yeah, um, definitely. So we want to kind of make it a kind of educational resource, really. Mm. I mean, I'm sort of thinking with my teacher hat on, you know, for people who might be sort of interested sort of A-level students or undergraduate students themselves mm. who just want to keep up with some of the exciting issues yeah. in New Testament scholarship yeah. and early Christian history. Yeah, I suppose we're sort of aiming it at, you know, people like me who have gone on to do other things but want to keep that interest in theological studies and, you know, we're, we're going to approach it in the way that it's accessible for, for lots of people because I know I certainly am not as versed in, in, in the literature as I once was. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So today, since this is our first ever podcast, we thought we'd look at one of these textbook examples of something um, you might come across in an, in an undergraduate level course um, on the New Testament. Um, and so this is the issue of Mark and priority. And this is the view that Mark was the first of the synoptic gospels to be written. And just by synoptic gospels, I mean uh, Mark, Matthew and Luke. Uh, Tom, do you want to just explain a bit about, you know, why... Uh, this view of Mark and priority is an important issue for New Testament scholars. Yeah, well, it, it's part of an answer to a significant puzzle in gospel scholarship, uh, that being the synoptic problem. You know, this is a problem of the literary relationship of the gospels. Uh, by reading Mark, Matthew and Luke, it's obvious that one or more of these gospels has been used as a source because there's a lot of material which is shared almost verbatim. And we have a problem. It's the question of who used who and what is the nature of that relationship. That's that's pretty much the synoptic problem. And I, I, I think it's also an important in the quest for early sources about Jesus's life. Mm. You know, it's unsurprising that scholars have generally uh, reconstructed Jesus who is more like Mark's Jesus. Yeah, that's definitely something historians um, are always probing, you know, what is our what is our earliest sources? Um, so in, in what's often termed the quest for the historical Jesus, as you say, um, it just so happens that the the scholar the the Jesus scholars keep coming back to is mm. Mark's Jesus, um, and that's partly you know a result of this view of Mark of priority that uh, the Mark was written uh, uh, first and so was the earliest so source that we have surviving for Jesus's life. Um, I think another reason why it's significant is because it's an issue where modern scholarship uh, in the past two hundred years or so has actually revised a conclusion held by the early church. So the early church actually uh, pretty much unanimously believed that Matthew was the first gospel to be written, whereas modern scholarship almost equally unanimously believes that Mark was the first gospel to be written. So as a result, it can be held up as a sort of showcase for what um, literary and historical analysis of uh, the Gospels can reveal a mm. uh, conclusion that they can they, they can hold, which is different to the early church. Yes. Well, it's probably best that we jump straight into some of the reasons, uh, John. So do you want to just explain the first one, the argument from hard readings? Yes. Yeah, so this is the idea that when we go to Mark, 
we find various um, problematic passages or, you know, difficult uh, things which might have caused uh, theological problems. Um, and when we go to the same passages in Matthew and Luke, things seem to have been slightly brushed up or some of the difficulties in Mark seem to have been avoided. Um, and the argument here is that this is best explained by the fact that Matthew and Luke were using Mark as a source and actually uh, removed some of those difficulties. Then that Mark came along later using Matthew and Luke uh, and actually made um, their easier readings more difficult. Uh, and so that seems quite a compelling argument to me, but maybe we can go through some of the examples um, of that. Yeah, well, most notably, we have B.H. Streeter, an early 20th century scholar who made this argument, and he pointed to a few phrases which could have caused offence. Uh, for example, in Mark, uh, Mark says that Jesus could do there no mighty works. Uh, they're referring to his hometown. And now this is potentially theologically problematic as it implies Jesus's power is limited. And then in Matthew, it is no longer he could do no mighty work, but that he did not do many mighty works. And in Luke, it's actually removed altogether. Uh, another example Streeter points uh, to was Jesus's dialogue with the rich young ruler in Mark 10. Uh, when the rich man calls Jesus good teacher, he responds, why do you call me good? But in Matthew, this changes to why do you ask me concerning the good, removing the possibility that Jesus is not good. Yeah, so these are sort of hard passages in Mark, which have been seemingly brushed up or just removed by Matthew and Luke. Um, just as you said that, uh, I was also thinking about the, the baptism of Jesus, uh, where uh, in Mark's gospel, you have Jesus baptized by John, which, you know, some people have said is embarrassing because it raises the question, mm. why was Jesus getting baptized by John? Yeah. And Matthew kind of removes um, uh, any inferiority uh, of, of Jesus to John uh, by, by sort of qualifying this and saying, that it was to fulfill all righteousness. So he gives an explanation of why this was the case. And then in John, I believe, there is no um, baptism of Jesus. So exactly. it's removed yeah. altogether. So there's there's no sense in which Jesus is inferior to, to John um, by that stage. Yeah, so another argument is actually the argument from content. And this is actually quite interesting because this argument uh, is is basically made from the proportion of content uh, shared by the synoptic gospels um i think i think it's roughly 90 percent of mark is found in matthew and 55 percent is shared with luke and so you know john do you think there's anything that could be made out of this as an argument yes i remember thinking about this when we were we were taking our paper on the introduction to the study of the new testament with uh, professor richard bell seems a very long time ago <laughs> in our first year at nottingham and um, came across this argument, and I, I don't think I actually ended up using it um, uh, in in the paper because I, I remember answering this question: you know, what is the case for for Mark and priority? But actually, thinking about it, I think you know some very strong arguments can be made from from the content. Um, now, it, you could say that uh, Mark used Matthew and Luke and just cut out lots of their material, but I think this is actually quite unlikely for a few reasons. Um, and one of one is that almost all of Mark, um, as you say, 600 of 660 verses mm. is included in Matthew. So there seems little point in writing Mark then if Matthew has already been written, um, because almost all of Mark is included in Matthew already. So why even bother penning um, Mark? 
Also, if we assume that Mark was written before Matthew and Luke, we also have a really good explanation for why certain bits of Mark and material get dropped out. Um, For example, Mark has a story where uh, Jesus's family are seeking to arrest him because they think he's out of his mind. Um, He has a story um, where a man flees naked um, at Jesus's arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And these Uh, stories get dropped out of Matthew and Luke and if Mark was written first then we can understand why Matthew and Luke would omit these potentially embarrassing or just seemingly very odd um, stories from their own gospels. And we'd also have a harder time to explain why Mark omitted so much of the really significant material in Matthew and Luke if he knew those gospels. Um, and of course, you know, Matthew could, uh, sorry, Mark could have his own uh, interest in telling the narrative the way he did. But there's just so much great material in Matthew and Luke. You know, you think of all those, you know, fantastic Luke and parables, for example, uh, which which Mark would have to admit. But if Mark was written first, by contrast, we could see why Matthew and Luke would want to supplement his gospel with their own special material. So our third argument is that Mark's grammar and vocabulary is sometimes quite rough and ready. Uh, But in Matthew and Luke, the same grammar is brushed up. And we can understand more easily why Matthew and Luke would want to brush up Mark's Greek uh, than that Mark would come along afterwards and make Matthew and Luke cruder, if you like. Yeah, and a good example of this is uh, where Mark uses the word ekbalo, quite a negative word, meaning expel to uh, refer to the spirit leading Jesus out into the wilderness. Mm. And this is a term that Mark usually uses to refer to Jesus casting demons out. I mean, literally means uh, uh, to cast out. Um, And when we go to the same passage, the same episode in Matthew and Luke, they use the more more precise term, a softer term, ago, which just means to lead. So Jesus is led out into the wilderness. He's not cast out. So this might be an example of where Matthew and Luke have, have softened um, something about uh, Mark's language. But you can also make this argument from Aramaicisms. Yeah, so um, the Gospels were all written in Greek, but um, Jesus and his disciples would have spoken um, Aramaic um, as their primary language. So uh, there seems to be places in Mark where Mark has actually preserved um, some, some uh, sort of original Aramaic words. Um, whereas Luke and Matthew seem to have just come along and removed them um, as kind of just uh, things that are extraneous. Um, So I think Matthew has actually only one um, Aramaic term, which is Golgotha, and Luke has none. And so, yeah, the argument being that, you know, a writer is unlikely to introduce these unnecessary Aramaic words into a source, Mm. but it does make sense for Matthew and Luke to come along later, writing in Greek also, uh, and to remove them from Mark. So, so to sum it up, to cor- correct me if I'm wrong, we have a brushing up and correction of Mark's lower grammar, yeah. but we also have a removal of the Aramaicisms, which seems extraneous to Matthew and to Luke as well. Yeah, that's it. Yep. So the fourth argument that we uh, thought we'd take a look at is the argument from genre. Now, John, I know you uh, touched on this actually in your master's thesis. I suppose the question is really, is there a way in which uh, this kind of argument, you know, that there is something lacking in Mark or needing to be improved upon in a certain sense, um, you know, could it also be extended to Mark's genre? Yeah, so, I mean, there's so much to say about the genre of the Gospels, but um, in the last three decades, I think uh, we've seen something of a paradigm shift um, in gospel scholarship, um, partly due to the work of uh, Richard Burrage, who 
was uh, was a classicist, but did his PhD under Maurice Casey in Nottingham, mm. uh, exploring this question of whether the the Gospels were Greco-Roman biographies, and he sought to actually disprove the thesis, or at least he thought he was going to disprove it. But he actually found himself arguing that they were uh, very similar to um, sort of ancient uh, lives or biographies. Uh, and this seems to have persuaded many people that they are, but there are lots of questions surrounding Mark. And a lot of people think his case might be weakest for Mark because Mark lacks some of the typical features of, of an ancient life. Um, and so just to give an example of this, Mark just launches straight into the ministry of Jesus and uh, on the ministries of Jesus and John the Baptist um, and, and doesn't have anything on Jesus' childhood. No, there's no infancy narrative um, as we find in Matthew and Luke. And so I think there could be an argument made from genre in the sense that Matthew and Luke, seeing that Mark has produced something quite biographical, you know, he's produced a story centering um, on a single figure, have taken it in a more explicitly biographical direction and have made up for some, some of the things that Mark omits. So Matthew and Luke both include... Um, uh, infancy narratives, they both include genealogies, they both include childhood stories, uh, which you typically find in ancient biographies. So, uh, for example, in Luke, we find Jesus debating very precociously the scribes in the temple. And in Matthew, we have Jesus as a child. And when he's a child, he's visited by the Magi. So and and they give him gifts which predict later things in the ministry, in the ministry of Jesus. So we have a kind of foreshadowing in, the, in those kinds of childhood stories, which we'd also find in biographical literature. So I think, you know, there's something to be said for the case that Matthew and Luke have looked at Mark, seen that it was a biography of sorts, but have taken it in a more explicitly biographical direction and have sort of brushed that up. And it's sort of easier to make sense of the fact that Matthew and Luke have done that brushing up than that Mark has made Matthew and Luke more generically ambiguous. Perfect. So the uh, fifth and final argument that we uh, were going to take a look at is the argument from Christology. Um, now, there are other arguments which we could focus on, including the use of Old Testament quotations in the gospel, the sequencing of the gospel material. But perhaps a clearer one uh, to see is an argument from Christology. Uh, Christology just being the discussion about who the person of Jesus is, what he does and how he is represented in the gospels. Um, now, there seems to be a much clearer articulation of Christology in Matthew's gospel. For example, Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi and Mark is, you are the Messiah. And in Matthew, it's, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then in Luke, we find it's just the Messiah of God. And in Mark, Jesus is only once addressed as kurios, meaning Lord. And he is more regularly addressed as a rabbi or didaskalos, meaning teacher. Um, but in Matthew, Jesus is addressed as Lord 19 times and in Luke 16 times. Now, Fitzmaier, a 20th century New Testament scholar, asks the question, what sort of early theologian does Mark turn out to be if his account is based on Matthew and Luke, having behind him the certainly more developed Christologies and ecclesiologies of Matthew and Luke? What would his purpose be in constructing such a composition? And he goes on to recognise that whilst Mark certainly does have his own theology, however, it remains more likely that Matthew and Luke have clarified and developed Mark's theology than vice versa. Yeah, and we, we find there Fitzmaier also mentioning ecclesiology, which is just Mark's view of the church, the ecclesia. Um, and what Fitzmaier seems to be alluding to there is the fact that 
Mark shows very little interest in the church, but rather has a focus on um, end time events, uh, whatever form and whatever exact form you might think they take. But Matthew and Luke seem to have slightly more of a concern for the church and the authority of Peter in relation to the church. So um, in Matthew and Luke, uh, Peter is the rock on whom the church is built. Um, and also um, they include this mission to all nations as well in a, in a more pronounced sense than Mark. And this would make better sense, some would argue, if Mark was writing at a, ter- uh, at a time when expectations for Jesus' uh, return um, were very strong. And there was so there was a less of a sort of immediate concern for things like church governance and looking back to the founders of the church. Um, but the later Gospels come along and, and show less fervent an expectation, perhaps, uh, for Jesus' second coming, but more of a concern for how the church will continue to go on in the world, in the present, looking back at those those founding uh, fathers. Mm. Well, these are just a few of the arguments from Mark and Priority that scholars have considered, but we know there are others. But just to quickly recap, um, we have a set of arguments which attempt to show that Mark has been brushed up in terms of its genre and its language, or more theologically, or made more theologically clear. Uh, now, these aren't the only arguments, but these are just a set of arguments which have persuaded many New Testament scholars. So, to wrap up. <laughs> Thank you for any listeners who have made it all of the way to the end of this podcast. Congratulations. Uh, uh, congratulations, <laughs> and uh, please be gracious to us. This is our first ever podcast. I think, like many people, we had a bit of sort of creative inspiration, you mm. know. Uh, your your creative inspiration was uh, partly related to this epic beard that you're growing, and uh, part of part of my creative inspiration was thinking of uh, doing this podcast with you. And, um, <laughs> there was I'll that, take the beard. <laughs> there was the time at the start of lockdown where just everyone seemed to be producing very creative content. Mm. Um, not all of it spectacular. No. But hopefully, you know, as these podcasts go on. Yeah, we've sort of caught caught wind of that and <laughs> towards the end of lockdown we've started creating <laughs> something but yeah. we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> we are actually socially distanced a meter, a meter at the part uh, at yeah. the moment. But um, no, uh, just thinking about future podcasts, I mean, next week we're actually going to be probing uh, behind the Gospels or behind the first Gospel and mm. thinking about um, what was going on and how um, the stories and sayings of Jesus were being passed down even prior to uh, the composition of this first gospel, Mark. So we're going to be going even further behind um, uh, the gospels to consider oral tradition. So if that sounds like uh, something you might be interested in, please do stick around for future podcasts. And now I think we're going to hear a fantastic in- uh, outro uh which did you did you play the sadly i I was not on the piano either for this one (laughs) but uh maybe one day i will be well hopefully tom will get you on the, the the piano uh one day but yeah thanks for listening everyone thanks for listening